Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. In other parts of the world right now who are living in very difficult conditions. And and so I'm going to pray for us now for our time together as we study. But I, I just want to remember all those persecuted Christians all over the world who will wake up tomorrow morning to a different sort of life than we will. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for the opportunity to study and to serve and to pray and to sing, Father. And Lord, as we sing this song, we we acknowledge, Lord, that you are the God of the nations. (laughs) You are the God of this world. And so, Lord, we, we pause just for a couple of minutes right now to remember all those brothers and sisters in Christ that live somewhere else other than here, Lord. I think about the missionaries that we have partnered with in so many parts of the world. Lord, I pray for them specifically right now and for their families. I pray strength and courage, Father, the ability to boldly follow you even in the very difficult circumstances. I pray for the believers, Lord, that live under persecution right now. Encourage them, Lord. Strengthen them. May they walk through that valley, Lord, that shadow of death, but Lord, I pray they wouldn't fear any evil because you're with them. Lord, you do a mighty work in their hearts. And even right now, Father, we pray that strength and power and peace would fall upon them because of the power of the Spirit working in their lives. Lord, I pray for our time together this morning as we open the truth of your word. I pray you would speak clearly to us, Lord, through the power of the Spirit. We can be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his powerful name that we pray. Amen. So I came into work Tuesday morning, as I do every morning. I got out of my truck and I you know, walked up the little steps and I walked into the main office and Christy Tidwell, who is our church administrator, standing next to a man right in front of my office that I'd, I'd never seen this man before in my life. And she said those words that strike fear in the heart of every pastor as I'm walking up to the door. She says to this man, oh, here he is now. (laughs) Hmm. That could be good. That could be bad. So I welcomed him into my office and we sat and started talking a little bit. And he begins to tell me his story. Turns out this guy is a full-time missionary in a Muslim country. Very dangerous Muslim country. Very difficult place to do ministry. And he's ministering to an ungroup, an unreached group of Muslim people. In fact, it's the largest unreached Muslim people group in the world. And he's ministering to these people. And he starts telling me the story about kind of where he's been and what he's been doing. He said, we've been there for five years and it's become very dangerous. In fact, he said, over the last five years, about 16 of my colleagues have been martyred for their faith. And so he starts explaining to me that, you know, they, they, they needed to get out and they, they needed a little bit of a break. And he's not from here. He's from up north. His, his wife is not even from the United States. And they, they needed a, a little bit of a break. And so for some strange reason, their organization sent them to Pine Mountain, Georgia. <laughs> to a house there. Never been to our area. And he said, we were supposed to go back. And, and my wife and I just had a kind of an uneasiness about our travel back. 
And he said, we just weren't quite sure if we should go or if we shouldn't go. And we prepared everything as if we had planned to go. And he said, the morning we were to leave, the morning we were to get on the airplane, two of our colleagues were killed. And he said, you know, we we just kind of decided we needed to put the brakes on for a few weeks. And and we needed to just kind of settle in and and pray back through what the Lord would have us to do to be clear we're hearing his call, to be sure we're, we're hearing his call in our life. And he said, and so since we're here for a little bit longer, we felt like we needed to find a church to worship in. And he said, I'd driven by your church a few times and I just felt like the Lord called me to come in and meet you. I said, do you have any idea what the Lord's doing with mission work here at our church? He said, I don't know anything about your church. I said, brother, you're not here by accident. The Holy Spirit's doing something. If for no other reason, I want you to hear me now. I don't know what this is going to mean. I don't know what this is going to do for us or for him. I have no idea. I, I don't know. He's only going to be here for a few weeks. You'll meet him at the missions conference. I went ahead and penciled him in for that. I kind of cleared a spot and put him in there. <laughs> he may be here for no other reason but to remind this church that the Holy Spirit's still alive and well. And he'll still bring people. And he'll still assemble armies of people to walk into the darkness. Because it's very easy for us to get caught up in the world and and the things that are going on in in our lives and get so busy with our to-do list and all the things we have to do. And all those things are important. But sometimes we miss the Spirit, don't we? And we miss His power. And we miss how He will accomplish things that He desires to accomplish. So I was just amazed at this man's story, and I was amazed at what he had accomplished, and I, I, I was amazed at what he had been through. So I just started telling people stories all week. I've been telling people. Everybody's seen somebody. I've told them the story. But I want to remind you that the Holy Spirit is still doing some pretty amazing things here. Somebody came to me after I told the story last week. They'd actually heard it from their wife. And he said, isn't it interesting this guy showed up in the middle of you doing a sermon series on the power of the Holy Spirit? He just literally just kind of showed up at your door. So I want to continue this morning in our sermon series. I want to continue this morning thinking about the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to invite you to open in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Now let me just tell you for a couple of minutes, if I could, while you're flipping Acts chapter 4, about the Global Impact Conference, our missions conference coming up next weekend. Let me tell you a few things about it. The first thing I want you to understand about it, it's Friday night, Saturday morning, and a little bit in the afternoon, and then, of course, next Sunday morning. But it's for everybody. We've had some questions from people. Is this just for folks going on mission? Is this just for people that have already signed up? Is this just for... No, it's for everybody. We want you, even if you haven't signed up to go, even if you're not sure you can go, I want you to come to hear what the Lord's doing. You need to be encouraged by these believers that are going to be sharing. We're going to have a guest speaker on Friday night who's going to explain to us just the importance of going, the importance of sharing, the importance of being a mission-sending church. We're going to ask you to buy a ticket for Friday night because we're going to serve you a nice meal and we've got to have a count. So you can buy a ticket in the breezeway this morning before you leave. You can sign up online if you want to as well. That's for Friday night. You can go Saturday and no cost. We'll even give you a free lunch. That's how important this is to us. We're going to have prayer walking on Saturday morning. We're going to hear from several different missionaries. Friday night, you'll hear from some of the missionaries that have been different parts of the world, from our people and from missionaries we've got coming in. Those of you that have been to Guatemala, Pastor Raphael is coming to this missions conference. 
We're able to work out the pastor in the church in Guatemala coming. Now, you may not know this, but it's very difficult as a foreigner to get into the States. I didn't know it was that difficult. Legally, at least, I should say. Maybe I should say that. There's a, there's a pretty significant process you've got to go through getting a visa and doing all the things you've got to do to get here to our country. And so he's coming. I'm excited to hear him. Dr. George Martin, who is the, uh, a professor at Southern Seminary, is going to be coming and speaking on Sunday morning. We've got another missionary who goes to extreme parts of the world going to come and speak to us. He's actually going to do Sunday school next week. So the 930, sir, uh, the 930 Sunday schools will all meet together in the fellowship hall. Don't go to your individual classes. The 11 o'clock Sunday school will all meet together. Don't go to your individual classes. And this man who is a missionary overseas is going to speak to us and you're going to hear from him. You may have noticed all the stuff in the breezeway coming in, right? You may have seen all those things set out on those tables. Those are actually things we've purchased in other parts of the world. We purchase them and we help those people locally in their economy. And we often buy from believers when possible. And we bring those things back here to our church. And we're going to sell those during our missions conference. And all the money we raise will go right back into missions. So we help the local believers where they are. We raise a little bit of money here at our church. And you get to have some pretty neat stuff from Africa or for Asia or Europe or wherever you want. So you be in prayer for that. I want you to be here. I want you to be a part of that. I want you to pray about being a part of that. I want you to come and listen to these speakers. If for no other reason to be challenged and to be reminded of all the Lord is doing here. So now let's take a look at Acts chapter 4. This is our fourth week in our study of the Holy Spirit. We've seen over the last several weeks that the Holy Spirit, just to review very quickly, is a part of us as a follower of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells within us. The Holy Spirit gives us life. The Holy Spirit comforts us and protects us and provides for us in times of need according to Scripture. We saw last week that the Holy Spirit, when we worship, we saw the text in Acts chapter 13 where Paul and Barnabas were called out. That happened as the church was fasting and worshiping and seeking the Lord. And we, we, we saw that when we do those things, the Lord will speak to us, the Holy Spirit will call us, and will send us out to do things for the Lord. And so this week now, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, and I want to give you just a quick little background before we look at our text this morning. We're going to be studying Acts chapter 4 continues the story of the growth of the church, the amazing things the Holy Spirit has been doing. We see some miraculous things taking place. And in Acts chapter 4, we see that Peter and John have actually healed a man. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But because they've healed this man, it's kind of stirred up some problems with the local leadership and with the local religious leaders. So they've arrested Peter and John. They've threatened them. They've told them never to speak of the things of the Lord again. And they've kind of sent them off in the way, tried to scare them to death. Well, Peter and John, as soon as they are released, they run back to the followers of Jesus Christ. They meet together and they pray. And I want to focus this morning on Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 29. This is a portion of their prayer. I want you to listen to what these early century believers pray in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Verse 30. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your Holy Spirit, Jesus, your Holy Servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now there's some truth in here I want you to understand. There's some things I want you to see in this context that are going to help us better understand the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. But the prayer of these people... 
is a real indication of their heart and a real indication of exactly what they were asking the Spirit to do. So here's the first thing I want to point out this morning, the first thing I want you to understand. These believers in their prayer ask the Holy Spirit, number one, for boldness in the face of fear. Now these people are praying very specifically for boldness. Now hold your spot there in the end of chapter 4, and let's go back up to verse 23 of chapter 4. I want you to notice something. These people begin their prayer in verse 23 a little bit differently. So on their release, the Bible says, Peter and John went back to their own people. I shared that a few minutes ago. They go back to the followers. They go back to the early century believers here. And they reported all that the chief priests and elders had to say to them. So basically, Peter and John go back to the believers They tell them all that the local leadership said to them. Now verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. This is the church, right? And here's what they prayed. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now there's something very interesting about this prayer. They begin their prayer in the same way, if you remember several months ago when we studied through the Sermon on the Mount. We studied the Lord's Prayer. And one of the first things we noticed about the Lord's Prayer is that before these believers prayed for what they needed or for what they wanted, they first prayed for the Lord's will. You may remember that. Not our will, Father, but your will. We see the same sort of model in this prayer in Acts chapter 4. They begin by acknowledging the power of the Lord. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now watch this. This is very important in prayer. When we begin our prayer by acknowledging who the Lord is and acknowledging His power and acknowledging His majesty and His glory and His holiness, it places Him where He ought to be and it reminds us that we serve under Him. Lord, it's really about You. It's really about Your power. It's really about Your majesty. It's really about Your glory. And ultimately, watch this, let's be careful in our time of prayer. Lord, it's really about Your will. Your will be done, Lord, well before I even ask for my will to be done. Now because these early century believers trust in the Lord, because they desire for His will to be accomplished, they find great boldness in following Him. Now just a side note for a second as we kind of consider our own lives. If we really believe the Lord was who He says He is, it would give us great boldness, wouldn't it? If we really believed in his power, it would give us great strength and courage, wouldn't it? See, I'm I'm a firm believer that we are weak in our faith and we lack boldness because we don't really believe the Lord can do what he says he can do. We may say we believe it. We may talk about it in Sunday school. We may say all the right things, but are we living our lives in such a way that we actually believe the Lord can accomplish what he says he can accomplish? The people in the book of Acts did. 
Because of your power, Lord, because of your strength, because you're the creator of all things, we are going to trust you and we're going to find boldness in the face of fear. Now look at what they say as we skip back down to our focal passage in verse 29. There are two very interesting things they ask for in this verse. Here's the first one. Look at the first part of verse 29. Now, Lord, they say, consider their threats. See, that's that's the first thing. Lord, we want you to consider the threats of the religious leaders, Lord. We, We want you to remember what they've been doing to us. We want you to remember what they did to Peter, what they did to John. Lord, we want you to remember all they're doing to kind of persecute us. Now, I'm just going to kind of insert myself into this thing just for a second because I want you to hear something. I read this passage of scripture and I see this prayer and I, and, I, and I ask myself, Adam, how would you finish this prayer? Lord, I want you to be aware of the threats. Lord, I want you to be aware of the, as if he didn't already know, right? But Lord, I want you to know about the persecution. I want you to know about the difficulty that we're facing. Now, Adam's prayer at this point would say something like this. Lord, I want you to take all that away. Just remove it, Lord. Lord, you know the threats. Right? Consider their threats, Lord. Consider their persecution. Consider all the, the difficult things that we're going through, Lord. I want you to remove those things, please, Lord. Take all that away. Kind of reminds me of the prayer of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Lord, I don't know if I can drink of this cup. You remember what he says? But yet not my will, but your will be done. You remember that prayer? Our first inclination oftentimes is, Lord, we're under great persecution. We're under great pressure. Bad things are happening. Please remove these things from our life. Now, there's nothing wrong with that prayer. But I want to contrast that prayer with the prayer of these early century believers. Now, Lord, consider their threats, right? And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. No mention of removing the persecution. No mention of removing the threats. No mention of making their path easier to walk. Instead, a very clear prayer. Lord, we're under great persecution. Remember their threats, Lord. And while they're threatening us and while they're persecuting us, give us boldness to speak your word. We don't want you to necessarily remove it, Father. Instead, we want you to strengthen us so we can do what you've called us to do, even in the midst of great persecution. It's interesting when you begin to read stories of persecution from around the world and you begin to read other believers and, and you have the opportunity oftentimes, if you, if you do, to, to speak to these believers. You, you hear the same sort of a story. You don't hear people that say, Lord, we want you to take this persecution from us and make it easier. What you hear instead is, Lord, we know this persecution is coming. Give us the strength to endure it. Give us the strength to be bold. I was reading about one group of people in China that have lived under persecution for many, many years. And I want you to listen to what one man says to describe the persecution and boldness that they live under and how it affects the believers. Here's what he says. Personal trust and respect for spiritual maturity were often in direct proportion to the amount of suffering that had been endured for the faith. So so the, the more suffering this person went through, the more persecution this person endured, the greater their spiritual maturity. Now here's the rest of the quote. If someone had not yet experienced personal persecution and suffering, trust was withheld until that happened. In fact, if you read about the leaders in China, what they'll often say is this. Look, we we believe this man is a godly man. We believe he's a follower of Christ. But he can't be a leader until he's been in prison. That's what they say. 
Once he's gone to prison and he stayed there a few years, then we know he's for real. (laughs) Then we'll listen to what he has to say. Now some of you are saying, Adam, are you you saying we should pray for persecution? Are you you saying we should pray for for threats? I'm I'm not saying any of those things, but here's what I am saying. Can't we find boldness in the things that we're dealing with if people all around the world can find boldness in the face of great persecution? Can't we be bold at work when we're persecuted by the guy that makes fun of the church? Can't we find boldness there? Is it too much to ask to find courage in that situation? Can't we find strength when our neighbor persecutes us by ignoring us when we invite him to church over and over again? (laughs) It's almost when you step out of the, uh, the context of our lives. And again, I'm talking to myself here as much as I'm talking to you honestly. Isn't it silly that we can even call that persecution based on what so many other people all through history and even today are still facing? Where's our boldness? Where's our boldness in the midst of persecution? Where's our boldness in the midst of fear? Where's our courage when things aren't going the way we hoped they would go? And how many times have we prayed for that boldness? Lord, I know this is a very difficult situation at work. And Lord, I'm not asking you to take the situation away. I'm asking you to give me strength and boldness to make it through the situation, Lord. I'm asking you to encourage me, Lord, and walk side by side with me. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, may I speak your word clearly and truthfully with boldness and courage, even in the midst of persecution. So as followers of Christ, we ought to be praying that the Spirit gives us boldness. Now here's the second thing. Look at verse 30 again with me. So they pray for boldness. They pray for strength. Now verse 30. There's a couple of things here I want you to see. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now here's the second truth I want you to see. Not only do these people pray for boldness from the Spirit. The second thing they pray for is healing in the midst of... Of despair. Lord, we want you to give us strength in the midst of this persecution. But even as we're living through this difficult time, Lord, and even as we're living through this difficult persecution, we want you to give you give us boldness and strength, but we also want you to stretch out your hand and heal. Now let's put this in context and make sure we understand exactly what we're talking about here. First century was very different than our context today. When somebody gets sick today, one of the first things we think of is doctor and medication and treatment. And there's nothing wrong with that. I firmly believe that the Lord has given us doctors and given us medicine as a means by which we can be healed. I believe that. But if you were to rewind back to the first century, you would understand that there are no medicines as we have them today. There is no technology like we have. There aren't doctors that are trained to understand exactly what's taking place in the body like we have today. So for people of the first century, for people that can't walk or can't see or can't hear or are sick in some sort of way, the only recourse they have is a miracle from the Lord. That's all they've got. They don't have the opportunity to go to the doctor and to get a pill. It it amazes me when we go to these remote locations. Guatemala is one example. We go to the village in Guatemala. It's very remote, very impoverished, very isolated from the world in so many respects. And these people don't have, there's no doctor there. There's no clinic there. There's no hospital there. And so we take in a medical team and we begin to kind of observe what's going on. We begin to help these people and we find out that about 90% of the students in the little public school there have worms. They have parasites. 
You know how you fix a parasite? You give this kid a pill, that's it. That's all you need. And yet so much of the world doesn't have access to that. So many people can't go to the doctor. So many people can't take a simple pill to heal them. And we see that in the first century. So we see these believers understanding the context. They know there's no doctor. They know there's no medication. Lord, we need you to heal these people. Right? We need you to stretch out your hand in their own words and heal. Now the Bible is filled with examples of people that are healed. In fact, we could, we could do a, an entire sermon series on healings in the Bible, Old and New Testament. We see it over and over and over again. And we kind of highlight that in the life of Christ and all the things that he accomplished and all the things that he did. The, the person that couldn't walk, he made him walk. The person that couldn't hear, he made him hear. The person that couldn't see, on and on the list goes. And that carries over into the first century church through the power of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And we see it all through Scripture. But here's the question I want to kind of ponder for a couple of minutes. We can make the biblical case that the Lord heals all through Scripture. But here's the question I want to think about for the next couple minutes. Does the Lord still heal today? It's a question we ought to be asking. I believe He does. I believe He can and I believe He will. Because if you were to read the accounts of literally millions of people all over the world, there are all sorts of accounts and book after book after book have been written by people that say the Lord still heals today. The Lord still does the miraculous work today. The Lord can still work in our lives today. I was reading the account of one man this week and here's what he said. By God's grace, I've seen God healing all kinds of disease and sickness by His power. Malaria. Pains, cancer, depression, the dead brought back to the life. On and on the list goes. Now, for followers of Jesus Christ in our context, sometimes we kind of fall into two extremes. We fall into the extreme that the Lord doesn't do those kinds of things anymore. He doesn't still heal. And there are believers that think that. And then there are other people that think that the Lord heals all the time. And there are people that are gifted with the gift of healing can literally walk through a hospital and heal people. I want to read a quote by John Stott, who's one of my favorite authors. He kind of puts this into perspective. Here's what John Stott says. We will neither describe miracles as never happening, nor as everyday occurrences. Neither as impossible, nor as normal. Instead, we will be entirely open to the God who works both through nature and through miracle. We're just going to trust the Lord. If he chooses to heal someone, he'll heal that person. If he chooses not to heal someone, he won't heal that person. I want to hold that thought in mind. I want you to back up to Acts chapter 3 with me just for a second because I want to read this account. I think it's important. All this in Acts chapter 4 and stirring up the religious leaders and led to the prayer that we're studying at the end of the fourth chapter of the book of Acts all came from this healing that took place in Acts chapter 3. So I want to read it to you. Acts chapter 3 verses 1 through 10. And we're going to talk about a few things in this healing that are very important. Acts chapter 3 verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And I think Luke tells us that because that would have been a very important time. That would have been a very uh, busy moment in the temple. Lots and lots of people would have been there at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. He didn't have any money. He didn't have any way to do anything. The only way he could survive was beg. So people would literally carry him to this same spot every day. Now verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. 
Peter looked straight at him as John did. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them, right? Understanding a beggar would have just been asking everybody, can I have money? Can I have money? Can I help me? Help me give me money. And so Peter says, hey, 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 look at me for a second. Just pay attention to me. Now verse 6, Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he held him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him now, I want to give you very quickly, and I don't have these on the screen. You can jot them down if you want to, or just pay attention as I go through them. I want to give you kind of five characteristics of this healing that are true in the first century. And I think if we're going to be fair and honest and talk about the Lord healing today, I think these five things ought to take place if someone's healed even now. So here they are very quickly. Number one, when this man was healed, it was from a very serious, very obvious condition. Now, if we were honest about faith healing in our world today, there are all sorts of people that abuse it. There are all sorts of people that fake it. There are all sorts of people that do it to bring themselves glory. But as we see in this case, this was a condition that was obvious to everybody that saw it. It wasn't as if this man's back hurt. He literally couldn't walk. He couldn't walk since birth. He was 40 years old and everybody knew it. Secondly, the healing took place in the name of Christ. It wasn't by some magic potion. It wasn't by some magical formula. It wasn't by some other name. It was very clearly in the name of Jesus Christ. Number three, the healing was instantaneous. It happened immediately. It wasn't if Peter said, get up and walk. And the guy said, you know, I can't walk, but my right toe feels better. Thank you. It wasn't if the guy said, you know, there's a little part of my ankle now that I feel like it's a little... I can't walk yet, but maybe in the next week or the next month. It was immediate. The man got up and he walked. Number four, the healing was complete and permanent. It wasn't partial. It wasn't temporary. It wasn't as if he got up and had a limp. It wasn't as if one leg worked and he had to use a cane for the other leg. The Bible tells us the fact that he got up and he began to jump around, right? The Bible says he was walking and jumping I think if I'd been lame for 40 years, I'd be jumping too. And then the fifth thing we see is that the healing was public knowledge. Everybody saw it. Everybody knew it. Everybody understood it. They knew this man couldn't walk one moment, and the very next minute he could walk. And it was very clear that Peter and John had done this. In fact, it was so clear that the religious leaders arrested them because of it. So so we see this this account in, in Scripture. And we see that the Lord healed this man. And we see that there are accounts all through the world, even today, that the Lord still heals people. So here's the question I want to ponder, and I want you to kind of wrestle through maybe today and over the next few weeks. How often do we pray for healing believing it's actually going to take place? And let me just step on your toes just for a second. Many of you are going to go to Sunday school this next hour. 
Maybe you went to Sunday school last week. Maybe you're going to go next. Maybe you got a small group Bible study. I promise you one thing. In that Sunday school class or in that Bible study at some point over the next few weeks, you're going to pray for somebody that's sick, aren't you? you got a prayer list, right, in your Sunday school class, a name of sick people on there. You're going to look at that name. You're going to pray for that name and praise God. We should continue to do that. But where's your faith in that prayer? Are you praying it just because it's up on the board? Or are you praying it as if the Lord can and will truly heal? I think we ought to be confronted with that question. How many times have we done something like this in, in our walk? I'll, use, I'll just make up a name, John. Let's say John. So John gets diagnosed with cancer. Okay? John goes to the doctor. The doctor says, we found this spot. It's cancer. Uh, it's stage, whatever. I, I'm not quite sure of the treatment yet, so I'm going to send you to a specialist in Atlanta, right? We've all known those stories. So John comes back to his Sunday school class or to his church or the body of friends that surround him, and he says, I've been diagnosed with cancer. Please pray for me. So the next few weeks, a church or the Sunday school group or the family or whoever it is begins to pray for John. Lord, just work in John's life. It's your will. Heal John. Lord, do amazing things in his body. And two weeks later, John goes to the specialist in Atlanta. And the specialist runs all the tests. And he sits John down. He says, John, I'm not sure what the doctor in LaGrange saw. But we can't find any cancer. Now, our default answer, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because it's oftentimes my default answer is this. How could that doctor in LaGrange have been so incompetent? How do you tell somebody they've got cancer when they really don't have it? We've all done it, haven't we? We've all done it. Maybe our default should be, the Lord healed him. From one doctor's visit to the next, the Lord healed him. I just wonder if the Lord is not still in the business of healing in our midst and we just can't see it because we're so focused on what we got to (laughs) do. You know how we just miss the things of the Lord so often because we're so busy and not in tune with his spirit? Maybe he is still healing our people and we just can't see it. These early century believers saw it and they understood it and they believed it and they prayed for it. Lord, heal our people. Now we've got to finish up verse 30. So we've asked for boldness through the power of the Spirit. We've asked through healing through the power of the Spirit. Stretch out your hand and heal in verse 30. And perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Here's the third thing they prayed for. Holy Spirit, show us signs and wonders to demonstrate the glory of the Lord. Father, we want you to do amazing things, not because we want to be blessed, not because we need things, not because we're hoping for certain outcomes. We want you to do miraculous things, signs and wonders, so that your name will be glorified. You understand the Lord is going to bring glory to himself, right? And so we see instance after instance in the Bible of the Lord's power. I made a list, and goodness, there's so many of these. But how about the Lord's power in the Exodus, right? Bringing the children of Israel out into the wilderness. Marching them through the Red Sea. Pillar of cloud during the day, a pillar of cloud by night so they can follow, bring them across the Jordan River into the promised land, leading them, giving them the Ten Commandments. Why did he do that? To bring himself glory. That's why he did it. So his power would be demonstrated. The call of Abraham. Abraham, you go and you become a nation. I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. Why did the Lord do that? To bring glory to himself. That's why he did it. 
Elijah on Mount Carmel, one of my favorite stories. You remember the story? He's kind of had this competition with the prophets of Baal. You remember that? So they build this altar and they put the bull on it and the prophets of Baal get to go first and they're praying all day and they're hitting themselves and they're crying out and nothing ever happens. Elijah actually makes fun of them. You remember? Maybe he's sleeping. And when it's Elijah's turn, he says, take all this water and pour it on top of this bull and on top of this this altar, and I want the water to pour down and flow down, and it becomes a river around it. He calls on the name of the Lord. The Bible says fire came from heaven and licked up the altar and the bull and the wood and the water instantaneously. Why? Because the Lord brought glory to himself. That's what he does. And so these believers understand that. Lord, perform these signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Lord, show us miraculous things. Do incredible things so that you can receive glory. You know, the Lord's done some pretty amazing things here at our church over the last decades and over the last few years. And I can tell you time after time and story after story of all that he's done. But I want to promise you one thing. His work is not done at this church. And he's going to continue to move forward, bringing himself glory. And so our call is to seek him. Our call is to pray that we'll be bold in the midst of great fear. Our call is to continue to pray for healing. Lord, you do amazing work in the hearts of our but You heal through the power of the Spirit, Lord. Our call is to pray that he would be honored and that he would be glorified. Because as he continues to work... And he continues to move and the Spirit continues to lead us. We're going to see great things accomplished. And so I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you as you spend time in prayer, as you spend time in study to seek the direction of the Lord and ask the Spirit to work. Because when the Spirit works, great things happen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Again, it's, it's clear. It's understandable, Lord, Father. It's just a, it's just a, a calling upon our lives, Lord, and, and a reminder of the power of the Spirit and the things we ought to be praying for, Lord. We should be bold. Help us to find courage, Father. I pray you would heal people, Lord, in, in, in just mighty and powerful, miraculous ways. Heal people for your glory, Lord. I pray you continue to do things at this church so you'd be honored, so you'd be glorified, Father. And I just pray you would give us the ability as followers of Jesus Christ to hear your voice, to hear the Spirit's call, and to obey, to do all the things you've called us to do for your name's sake. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the chance for the next couple of minutes. Maybe you want to come and pray about your boldness. (laughs) Maybe you want to pray the Lord's going to heal somebody. Maybe you're going to pray that the Lord will do signs and wonders for his honor and glory. But I want you to respond now. Don't be confronted with the truth of the word and walk away like the man who forgot what his reflection looked like in the mirror. Do something for the Lord. Allow him to use you. Allow him to speak. Allow him to work in your heart. This is your time now, though, as we respond. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.